Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. I'm Dr. John Herding. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. I'm here with Dr. Ray Carr, Rob Rabina, and Dr. Nick Pergini. And today we're going to talk about our upper body assessments. Um, so generally when we're assessing people, whether in the rehab or strength conditioning setting, um, we're always doing a full body assessment, including upper and lower body and how they're integrate together during certain movements. But today we want to focus on our specific upper extremity, upper body um, assessment as it guides our training program going forward. Um, so Rob wants to talk first about how he evaluates an athlete coming in in a performance setting and where that kind of goes, takes his program. Cool. Thanks, John. So I, I believe that the assessment is vital to an athlete's success in a strength and conditioning program because um, you as a coach need to prescribe exercises based off data. And if you don't have any data, or you're not doing any intake from a physical perspective, from a performance perspective, from a range of motion perspective, I don't really know what you're doing. Um, so that's my first tidbit right there. Um, so what tests am I doing from an upper body um, assessment standpoint? I am doing um, a bunch of different passive um, shoulder tests. So we'll start with that. So I'm looking at uh, supine shoulder flexion. Um, I'll do supine shoulder IR, ER, uh, also looking at supine shoulder horizontal abduction. Um, so those would be my kind of passive shoulder tests that I'm performing. Um, I will also look at active supine shoulder flexion. Um, after that, I'll probably run in them through a apical expansion test. Pretty much for this purpose of this test is to gauge um, where air is going in either side of the rib cage, pretty much. Um, so it'll provide me a lot of information about where the rib cage is and how they're breathing. Um, after that, I'll, I'll stand them up, <clears throat> depending on the athlete. If it's more of a baseball athlete, um, maybe more of an older athlete, college pro guy, um, I would look at a scapular humorhythm test. So I'll look at flexion, um, standing, um, you know, uh, shoulder abduction out to the side. I'll look at it from a sagittal plane perspective, from a frontal plane perspective. I'll have them do some push-ups, and I'll have them do some standing, uh, just external rotation. Again, just looking at how they're moving from a scapular, from a rib cage, and from a humerus perspective. Looking for any serious red flags of anyone's movement, pain, or any problems that might arise during a training session. So to me, the number one reason I'm doing an evaluation is to look for any red flags or any issues that, that might come up. Um, if there is an issue, pain, discomfort, problems, you know, um, serious scapular um, dyskinesis or serious winging or something really bad. Uh, that's why I have three great PTs right here that I work with that I can send to. Right, guys? Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Yep. Um, so that, th those are my, uh, you know, range of motion passive tests that I'm performing. From a performance side, from an upper body side, I do have athletes kind of go through a shortened workout to get a gauge of their you know, upper body fitness level. Um, now there are a lot of fitness tests from an upper body perspective that you can, that you can perform. 
You can perform repetition testing, like a chin-up, bench press testing. You can perform max strength testing from upper body perspective. Um, you know, all, all of these are great tests um, that do provide really good data and good numbers to your training program. Um, generally though, what I like to do is just have them go through some of those exercises so I can see how they perform them, see how they listen to coaching cues. Um, so I'm not actually getting numbers of a repetition test um, because it's just not, to me, it's not that important on day one of an intake. Um, that's something we can do later on if it is a goal of theirs. Um, so yeah, I have them do some push-ups, some sort of other pressing, whether it's landmine or bench press variation, depending on who the athlete is. Uh, and then we'll do some, some rowing variations, cable rows, dumbbell rows. Again, depending on who the athlete is, I will just kind of get a gauge of where they're at and see how they perform an exercise. See how they do it with some adequate load and see how they fatigue. So it just gives me an idea of where I can start them from an exercise um, progression standpoint, along with the other range of motion data that is also provided during an evaluation standpoint. So that's pretty much my upper body eval. Um, again, look at some range of motion, do some exercises, see how they do, and then you would then sit down and write a program based off that, off those numbers that you see. Rob, you bring up, a, I think, a really good point there is like, you know, you're obviously collecting a lot of data through your range of motion testing um, and, and other another passive tests, you know, whether that be through the shoulder or, or FMS. But I, I also love the, the point there that you make about, you know, you're, you're watching them work out, you're, you're looking at their body language, you're looking at how they're responding to your cueing. And I think that's a really important, you know, just, just concept. And I think that short workout is a really important yep. piece of your initial eval that I, I, I think people <clears throat> should really, you know, take into consideration when uh, thinking about their own evaluation process. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, and a lot of trainers might do different things. They might try to give them the hardest workout possible. Right. And that's a way to, especially in the private sector, a lot of people use that to, to sell their services, which is great. Wow. Um, you know, I just don't take that approach. Um, my, my approach to the eval is to, you know, introduce them to the workout setting. I need to learn as much as I can about them. And this is just one way I found that I can get as much information about them. So. I don't know, you guys want to share some of your thoughts on what you guys do from an upper body perspective? Yeah, sure. Uh, in terms of like a PT assessment, you know, a lot of times I start, personally I start with the SFMA and I kind of just screen folks, you know, from head to toe. Um, keeping it to the upper body though, you know, so look at active range of motion versus passive. Um, and then also dive in the special test. Uh, I mean, the major special tests being for the shoulder, your impingement testing, your labral and rotator cuff testing. Um, I guess you also have your thoracic outlet testing. Um, also do like to look at the scaps um, for any dyskinesia and I guess your ulnar nerve testing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What about you, John? Yeah, so my assessment looks pretty similar to Rob's actually, um, and then including some, you know, we'll throw in special tests where I feel it's warranted and stuff. Um, but for me, one test that I've I've added recently um, that Rob doesn't include is horizontal adduction, which will kind of tell me a little bit about um, how they can expand their posterior rib cage as well as like how their shoulder blade moves around their torso. 
because um, I think if you're a, if you're looking specifically at upper body and you're not looking at torso position and how a shoulder blade kind of moves on that, um, then you're missing a huge part of the puzzle. So, um, like with scapulous kinesia, like really what I'm looking for is upward rotation. Like, are they getting upward rotation? Um, sure. And I think that's vitally where, important. Yeah, like that's probably the biggest thing I look for in an assessment because I think um, in a world where everybody's cueing scaps back and down like that's not how the scaps work no. right so no. um we i actually i cue more reach and rotate right. which i think is a standard cue all of us use um much much more than than retraction or back and down um i agree and i reach and rotate and getting scaps to upwardly rotate and kind of come around the the rib cage clears impingement and clears rotator cuff step pretty quickly a lot of times if people can figure out how to do it and you'll find um you know you need to you know with like rob testing apical expansion and and how people are moving air through either side of the rib cage like if they can't move it back between their shoulder blades they're not going to be able to reach and rotate so that's yep. that's a huge part of my evaluation process going through that stuff yeah going right along with with um with that idea you know obviously we do, we do our supine you know shoulder series where we're checking you know passive range of motion flexion you know abduction er ir um you know a- after that in, in a lot of our population we see people with you know with full range of motion um and and not necessarily with with um you know acute pain but people um have decent amount of strength they have good they have good range of motion so actually i enjoy the going into like a quadruped uh bear plank position where you know just like we're talking about we're able to reach through you know get some upward rotation and, and protraction and see if they can hold hold a like a bear or quadruped plank with the knees raised off the ground uh, maybe a few inches on top of that I, I like to look at scapular control so in that quadru- quadruped position doing something like a, a, a scapula car or controlled articular rotation. Um, we can put that in the show notes in a, in a YouTube video. But how well can this person access their scapula in all degrees of freedom? Can they, you know, can they elevate? Can they depress? Can they protract? Can they retract? Do they have an idea of how to move their scapula independent of their lumbar spine you know, and of their hips even? So this is something for me that it's, it tells a lot. If we're looking at someone in shoulder pain and this person has no idea how to move their scapula, well, you know, we, we, have, an, we have a more proximal issue that we need to address. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a one test I love. Another test I love is going into a push-up position and looking at like a high plank and, and again, maintaining this or cueing reaching and protraction and doing a, a shoulder tap. So you're looking at one arm come off the ground, the other arm needs to, is, is in closed, ch- closed chain, so it's maintaining that protraction. The other arm comes across, touches the shoulder, um, and how well can that, that body uh, right itself and orient itself to maintain that, that plank position without rotating to the side um, and while maintaining the scapula on the rib cage? Again, we can, we can throw that in the show notes as well. So when you're looking at that stuff, Nick, are you looking, what are you looking for? Are you looking for asymmetries, like front, back, side, side, rotationally? Or are you just looking at, are you just looking at overall general movement and how they connect the different segments of their body? Yeah, so I, I think it, it shows you a lot, right? One, it shows me, you know, you know basically s- scapular control. How well can they maintain the scapula and that congruency on the rib cage 
what when the other hand comes off the body. And the other thing is, can they resist rotation? Right. It's it's a great anti-rotational you know piece. So it looks at you know your your core and how that's integrating into your upper body. Nice, good. Yeah, I think um, just in terms of you know principles of assessment, like one thing I know. I focus big on is trying to find the objective change from you know the beginning to at the to the conclusion of the treatment. So, you know, taking some kind of objective measurement, it could be passive, it could be active range of motion, it could be strength, it could be you know some kind of functional test like along the lines Nick was just talking about, um, and then you know applying some kind of manual intervention, some kind of corrective, and then retesting. Um, I think that serves as you know. It, allows you to get almost a little bit of a buy-in from your patient allows you to show that quick like objective gain um, within just that short uh, time frame Um, and then it also just shows improvement within that visit too um, as well to your patient so yeah I mean in in a world where we all have to show value like getting that quick buy-in is is huge and especially like I know we'll see a lot of people that reach and rotate is a completely different cue for them and they're like well all i've ever been told is to so you know foreign. squeeze back and and down and then so when you do something completely different even yeah. though you know it's right to them it's like who's like who's this guy like mm-hmm. i've never been told this before mm-hmm. so when you're able to get them to get that initial change that that gets them out of pain or gets them like range of motion and a couple like breaths like it's huge and it gets buy-in and um and it shows the value of our services, which I think in this world of like, for us, increasing co-pays and, and people don't want to be in PT, they want to be training, where, or if Rob's, you know, they come in and, you know, they've been sleeper stretching all the time and Rob's able to change shoulder internal rotation with a simple cue, then he gets buy-in that his services, which are, you know, um, cash-based and expensive, like then they get buy-in that it's worth the cost of his services to, to get where they want to get. Yeah. Now, have you have you guys um, incorporated any like strength testing on your initial evaluations from from side to side, or like you look you're looking at any asymmetries in that in that way with you know either or unilateral loading, kettlebells, dumbbells, or anything like that, or also manual muscle test. May or thoughts well, on that as well. And yeah, so both. Yeah. yeah, I use a little bit of both. Honestly, it all depends on the patient, how the patient's presenting. Sometimes. Right. Like I keep it to just isolated manual muscle testing. If I have a patient who's a little bit more functional, a little bit higher level of an athlete, maybe I do break it out and look at a partial get up or look at how they do with some carries or a push up or just getting them in an extended arm plank position, um, something dynamic along those lines. Yeah, and for me, manual muscle tests don't tell me a ton. I do them because insurance companies want to see it. Um, you know, if I'm completely frank and honest, um, you know, maybe you get a little bit of information when I'm, you know, providing the resistance and you see how they hold the breath or you see how they compensate using specific things. Um, that'll give me clues into where to kind of go with some, some interventions. Um, and maybe it's just the population we see, like we see for the most part, a strong, healthy population that are going to be all fours and fives of manual muscle tests, which are the highest levels of of muscle testing so for us um where we're doing a lot of tweaking and positioning in our specific population like a manual muscle test doesn't give me great information yeah um especially when you're looking at in a pt setting that's less than six weeks like the only neural changes you're getting in strength are neural right so um 
And neural changes, you can trick the brain into getting a five out of five on a manual muscle test pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. John, do you use the do you use the hand grip dynamometer? You guys use that at all? I do. Yeah. From well, from from a testing yeah. standpoint, I use I use that pretty frequently um, with uh, any patient that comes in with an upper extremity issue. Um, even something like uh, possible like cervical radiculopathy. I'll use it with them standing, seated, and then take gravity out of it and have them laying supine just to see if there's a difference taking gravity and some of those compressive forces off the spine. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'd be surprised, grip strength goes up then. So that kind of would be more of an indicator, okay, maybe this is a little bit more of a radiculopathy. Um, what about you, John? Well, yeah, and that's where like just changing position, like you'll see an increase in grip strength. And Rob, when you do, um, you get a you improve IR and then you test grip again. Like I bet you, you see a change. Like yeah. I think just positional change, you know, puts you in a better mechanical position to stabilize and develop force. So um, I think it's a good way to show a quick change in intervention. That's just another objective measure. That's good. Yeah. So I'll we'll use, I'll use it. Yeah. Neck, shoulders, elbow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's even been linked to falls risk and mortality. Right. So it's something you could throw in an elderly patient. CNS readiness. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So grip strength is, is a big one. And now from a program design perspective, you guys do all this testing. Like what, how are you implementing it? Or are you just like getting numbers just to like get numbers? I think it's priority list, right? So we collect collect all the data. You know, what are we, what are we looking at? So it's about once we get it, let's prioritize what our, our top three problems are. Is this a range of motion? Is this mobility, soft tissue? Is this strength? Um, you know, what, what is the most important thing that we need to address moving forward and prioritize that in your home exercise program, you know, in your treatment, uh, in your plan of care moving forward. So again, you know, like you said, data is the most important thing and what we do with it is probably the next mo you know, right. important thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, well, first of all, you gotta get it, you gotta get the data, you gotta have a baseline, right? Um, and then I would say in terms of using it, I, I generally classify patients either as a mobility or stability uh, case, um, which then just kind of allows me to, you know, kind of outline their plan of care going forward to get the, you know, quickest outcomes for that patient. So. Well, and that's what I think it's all about, um, collecting the information to give them the most effective intervention right away for us. Like, it's our goal as therapists to get them out of pain quickly so they can get to you, right, Rob? Right. So people don't want to be in therapy for weeks on end. They want to get out of their pain so they can get back to doing what they want to do. So yeah. um, for me, it's, all right, this is the one shot, one kill, how I can make the most effective change that's lasting so they don't end up back in to see us in six months mm -hmm. and get them up to, to see you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I'm doing is every test that I do, I do for a reason. Like I'm not just doing tests just to do tests. And that's just eyewash and no one really cares about eyewash. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every test will provide me information so I can prescribe an exercise. It's really all it comes down to. You know, it's really simple. Like, I do this test that tells me this, now I can prescribe this exercise. So, you know, from all the range of motion testing to the, you know, fitness testing to, you know, seeing how they move with load, you know, all of that provides me with a general idea of where this person's at. I hear their goals and their initial evaluation, and then you pick the right exercises for that person to improve in their weak points and continue to reach their goals. 
Well, and then Rob, how often do you retest? Do you write retest athletes as they get into their yeah, program? Yeah, I think retesting is important because you have to know, one, as the coach, if your exercise program is working, um, and if it's not, then you have to change what you're doing or just allow more time. Some people don't respond as quickly, they don't develop the qualities or they're not improving in the range of motion, whatever it might be. So I usually, I usually test every four weeks. Um, you know, would like to usually see large improvements though in like the eight week mark. So after eight weeks of training on two programs, that's when you can really look back at your eight week testing and your baseline testing and really see some nice improvements in whatever their, their baseline tests were. And I know you, like um, all of us do, like you test and retest almost daily too sometimes, like as far as like range of motion interventions or specific sure. things like that, right? Yeah, if I, if I have someone that I know is, you know, needs to be in certain positions or they need to get this range of motion back, whether they're, you know, whether they're seeing you guys for therapy and they're training with me and I need to know where they're at, um, yeah, I definitely will retest on the fly if I, if I need to, but also just coaching them through their exercising is, some people will argue, is an assessment as well. And I think there's a lot of value in, in doing a formal assessment and then like actually spending time coaching them. That's why I think the lifting part of the evaluation is important because it, it provides you with a lot of good, like, again, nothing hard data, but it just provides you, you as the coach, you know that this person can't weight shift whether you get that from the, the, the initial evaluation or from them teaching them how to deadlift. So so every day is an evaluation? Every every day is an evaluation. Every lift. Another important tagline for today, John, if you want a healthy shoulder, get up rotation. <laughs> bang, bang. There it yes. is. That's it. I think, uh, you know, one last piece of advice for, for anyone listening, you know, if you haven't, ever received a formal evaluation and you're someone who's doing you know random mobility work right random stability exercises you know on your own or at your gym you know having an evaluation so you're not doing random maybe pointless maybe harmful you know drills and mobility work you know I think it's important that you have an evaluation so you can prioritize these things to elevate your training, right? To elevate, to elevate your health. So if you're out there and you've never had a formal, you know, upper extremity evaluation from a, you know, either a strength coach or a physical therapist, and you're dealing with something like that, I'd recommend, you know, seeking out someone that can, can perform that for you. All right, Nick, thank you. Um, so as we close out guys, we just have a favor to ask. Um, if you could click subscribe, if you like what we're doing, um, and then also download helps us move to the top um, of the, the podcast rank. So if you guys can subscribe and download, um, and finally share, like if you think like, if you like the content we're putting out um, and it's helping you improve how you, you treat your clients and patients, please share this with a friend so that we can only help to grow um, and gain some traction through that. So thanks again for listening to Training Room Talk. Until next time, thanks.